Hello, and thank you for joining us for episode three of Making Waves. I'm Zoe Mutter, editor of AV Magazine, and in today's episode, we'll be exploring extended reality and its impact on multiple areas, from the workplace and training through to entertainment. Later in the show, we'll bring you highlights from a panel debate that took place at ISE at the beginning of the pandemic that has changed our world. The comments made in the session are even more relevant now as VR, AR and MR are all being adopted even more heavily to allow society to function. But first we have an interview with Jeremy Dalton, PwC's Head of AR and VR, in which he shares his insight into the use of these immersive technologies in the workplace. Thank you so much for joining me today, Jeremy. Um, I'm looking forward to getting some insight into the use of extended realities, primarily in the workplace. Um, but I'd like to start by finding out a little bit of background about your experience in this area and how you first got involved in the world of VR and immersive technologies. Yeah, sure. Pleasure to be here, Zoe. So I got involved professionally in virtual reality and augmented reality back in around 2015. And this was a time when uh, it was a year after Facebook had bought Oculus, uh, a startup virtual reality company that put its, uh, its VR headset, the Oculus Rift, on Kickstarter, asked the world for $240,000, and the world responded by providing Oculus with $2.5 million, which really kicked things off, obviously got Facebook's attention, um, and uh, in 2014, uh, this was when Facebook bought um, Oculus for $3 billion. Uh, and that effectively kick-started a brand new era of, of virtual reality and to some extent augmented reality as well, which was very exciting. And back then, though, there was not a lot of publicized talk around the professional uses of the technology. Uh, so I, um, uh, I didn't have much to go on. But there were companies that were popping up left, right and center, you know, with different ideas on how we could use it. And of course, there were a lot of long-standing companies that had been using virtual reality even prior to this, uh, that were still continuing to use uh, VR technologies to achieve business outcomes. So um, it was that that instigated me to start investigating this for, uh, for business purposes. And the VR industry has grown in terms of its uh, professional use ever since. And then can you just tell me a bit about your current role at PwC as well and what that entails? Sure. So I take care of the virtual reality and augmented reality team for PwC UK. And uh, our team is comprised of software developers, business consultants, creatives, um, people who deal with uh, 3D modeling, uh, 3D animation and so on. And so we're we're a completely mixed team and we ultimately help clients across different industries to not only understand how these technologies could be used and applied to their business problems and opportunities, but we also help them to, to design those solutions, to develop them and then to deploy them. So to make them real and actually uh, integrate them into their business. Uh, and of course, off the back of that, we'll also do the, data analysis that's necessary to understand how effective those solutions were as well. Yeah, fantastic. And um, what benefits does um, virtual, augmented and mixed reality offer businesses, would you say? So what opportunities do immersive solutions open up and why would a company consider, company consider using VR? 
I think there are there are really many opportunities that virtual reality and augmented reality can afford businesses. Um, so to to rattle a few off, uh, they have the ability to save companies time and money. They have the ability to make their operations more efficient. Uh, they have the ability to to bring people together to help them work together more collaboratively and more effectively, especially remotely, uh, which is particularly. Uh, pertinent uh, given the uh, the pandemic situation at the moment and um, and of course they offer a more sustainable way of working remotely as well instead of having people uh, that need to travel to be in the same room together this technology can allow businesses to to come together work together and help visualize anything that they might need to uh, to see in a very realistic way without having to make that that travel and be there firsthand in person. And can you give me a few um, specific examples of ways in which extended reality is being used in the world of work to enhance business from say meetings to staff training, say specific ex examples of people excelling in that area? Yeah, sure. So one of the biggest areas is actually in training and training from two perspectives. Firstly, from a uh, soft skills perspective, and secondly, from a practical skills perspective. These are the two big areas of training that virtual reality really shines. Because VR is not, is not the, the silver bullet, it's not the answer to all training. But in those two areas, it's particularly strong because of the immersive nature uh, of the medium and the fact that you are fully uh, focused and in that fictional uh, world or other world different to perhaps your living room or your office space and so on. In fact, we, we released a report recently around the effectiveness of virtual reality for soft skills training in particular. And what we found was that VR learners were four times faster to train than uh, in the classroom. We found they were 275% more confident to apply the skills they'd learned after training. 3.75 times more emotionally connected to the learning content than their classroom learners equivalents and four times more focused than their e-learning peers so that was just a bit of data to try and um, uh, build the business case uh, and and show some support for the value of virtual reality when it comes to uh, soft skills training in this case so training is a big area remote collaboration i touched on briefly but that is obviously very big nowadays and this is around bringing people together or making them feel like they're in the same place without them having to travel and meet each other in person. So the idea is you put on one of these virtual reality headsets, one of your colleagues, perhaps halfway around the world in a completely different country, puts on their virtual reality headset and you open the right application, enter, the, enter a room together and all of a sudden you can see each other you can see each other in digital form you can say hi to each other you can gesture you can call someone over pick up a virtual pen and start writing on a virtual whiteboard so it's extremely effective for creative workshops where you need to collaborate in a stronger and more impactful way um, perhaps Again, this is this is a theme that I mentioned before, but virtual reality is not the solution to all remote collaboration and working problems, but where you need a greater depth of collaboration that goes beyond just uh, what a video conference can provide when you need to workshop together, when you need to bring in multiple whiteboards, split teams up, bring them back together for a plenary presentation. All of that can now be done effectively remotely using VR and AR technology. 
Uh, you've also got visualization and design. So this is being used a lot in automotive, for example, to help design vehicles. And again, talking about the benefits these technologies afford for businesses. Uh, currently, what a lot of automotive companies do or did is they have to build their vehicles physically using clay for example, at least at some stage in the process. Now with virtual reality, you can actually bring all of these stakeholders together. So you can bring the electronics team together, you can bring the, uh, the ergonomics team uh, together, the design team, and they can all be walking around the vehicle physically, which is at a one-to-one -one scale in digitally in virtual reality, and they can provide feedback on it. And because of, because of that way of doing things, they're able to much more quickly uh, iterate on that that vehicle and bring it to market uh, in a faster fashion. Then you've got remote assistance. Now this is a big one for augmented reality. Suppose you are a warehouse worker or you're an engineer that needs to perform a certain task in the field, but maybe it's something you haven't done before. or Maybe you've come across a problem that you've never seen before. You can call for assistance remotely from one of your more senior colleagues who can then see exactly what you're seeing through your eyes or more accurately through your your smart glasses or your AR headset and they can actually uh, annotate on your real world environment what you need to do what plugs you need to uh, pull in and put where uh, what wires you need to cut what buttons you need to press and so on and those annotations that the more senior colleagues actually writing uh, on the camera view of this environment that the worker is, is at in the field, those stay locked to the environment. So it's not like a, a circle that just appears and follows you whether, wherever you're looking. It, the circle stays on the button or the wire that it was originally circled on as the field worker uh, is messing around with the, the other areas of the task. So that's a very powerful use case as well. And then of course you have other areas, um, assessments that's being used for onboarding, induction processes. We're seeing a lot of companies use it for. Uh, so there are a whole host of, of applications for virtual reality and augmented reality. And this is really only scratching the surface, but I don't wanna, <laughs> I don't wanna drone on for the next 10 minutes about it. And then which specific virtual and augmented solutions are you seeing being used by businesses across all of those use cases? Are there some that are kind of standing out at the moment? Yeah, I would say the, the really big areas are around training. And um, for example, we've used, we've used virtual reality training and continue to use it to uh, teach commercial acumen. Um, so putting people in different uh, project scenarios in terms of uh, meeting with the client, kicking it off, negotiating the contract and seeing it through to the end at a high quality. We're also using it for diversity and inclusion training purposes. We're using it for cybersecurity awareness purposes. Um, so training is, is, is a very big one. I would say uh, in addition to training, we're also seeing a lot of clients that are interested in the remote collaboration aspects. So being able to work together with teams remotely, but equally powerfully uh, as if they were, were there in person. And, and then I'd say the, the third one would probably be remote assistance. And although this is more relevant to, to heavy industry or uh, engineering type applications where those those companies uh, do exist they are definitely interested in this uh, in using AR for these purposes. Which um, specific products are you seeing being used across those types of applications say headsets or specific te technologies you're excited about that are being developed? 
So in terms of the, the hardware that, uh, that has been used in, in the VRAR space, I would say that the most, uh, the, the, the most popular form of augmented reality, firstly, is actually via users' own mobile phones. Because everyone has a mobile phone, and for most of the smartphones in the world now, they're actually capable of performing very powerful augmented reality applications. Uh, and it's very simple to, or it's simpler, let's say, to deploy because everyone already has the hardware and less costly as a result because you're not purchasing it. So I'd say mobile phone or smartphone AR is definitely a very strong uh, piece of hardware that's being used in the AR market right now. Um, in terms of more headset-related hardware, we're seeing, we're seeing head-mounted displays from various companies uh, around the world. You've got companies like Oculus, HTC, Pico, Vario, um, and these are companies from the US, uh, China, Finland, and so on. And they're being used in, in different organizations for different purposes. Each has its pros and cons. Uh, in terms of the, the, the quality of the output, the screen, whether it needs to be connected to a computer or whether it's just a, a standalone device. Uh, so there are many different solutions and the, there's no real best one. It just depends on what the business's application is and how they want to deploy it. That will determine what the best hardware is for them. And are there any um, limitations you're you're coming across that still need to be overcome, would you say, in this area when it comes to the use of extended realities for in the workspace, for example? Yeah, I'd say when we talk about challenges to using uh, or let's say the proliferation of virtual reality and augmented reality technologies, you can group it into four main areas. Uh, one is around the content. The second is around the experience. Uh, the third is around the cost and the fourth is around the education. So to go through those, firstly, content. By that, I mean the availability of quality content. Now, this was a very big problem a few years back. It's less of a problem now in the consumer space. But when it comes to the professional space, uh, it is... It is less of an issue because usually enterprise users would build their own bespoke content or license the, uh, the relevant content off a platform that's already available off the shelf. The second issue is around, uh, let's talk about the cost. That's a nice simple one, fairly self-explanatory. A few years back, if you wanted a virtual reality experience, you only really had the choice of buying a headset and a computer, which was powerful enough to run that headset. So you were talking about 1,500 pounds at a minimum per device to run virtual reality. Nowadays, you've got standalone headsets which contain the processing power, the screen, uh, the sensors which detect how you're moving and how your hands or controllers are moving. And that can all be run, uh, and, and that, that, that entire package costs uh, about 400 quid now. So it's really come down in price, which has been fantastic. Uh, and it will continue to do so. The next challenge is around the, uh, let's talk about the, um, let's see, cost, content. Let's talk around about the experience. This is quite a big one. So by experience, I mean how easy or intuitive is it to use this hardware? So think about your mobile phone. When you first got your mobile phone, you opened up the packaging, you turned it on, and for most people, it would be quite simple to use nowadays. Uh, you wouldn't need a massive 100-page manual to do anything. 
uh, most people understand touch screens and how to interface with, uh, with digital applications using that that way. Um, but with virtual reality and augmented reality, it's not something we're used to yet. But the good news is it's getting simpler and simpler to be able to just take a headset out of its packaging, turn it on, it out of the box, even for someone who's never used the technology before. And then finally, education. Now, this refers to how much people understand about the real potential of the technology. So to understand it properly, it's not only about the theory of it, it's about trying it firsthand. Because only by trying it and experiencing it firsthand will you understand in, in a much more effective and impactful way what that technology is capable of doing. And the large majority of people, I would say, have still not tried virtual reality, at least in a uh, a business context they might be exploring or they could potentially use. So I think there's a lot more to be done on education, but that again is only a matter of time as the technologies become simpler and more cost effective. They'll find their, their, their way into the hands of all of these different business users. And then what do you believe is the key to using virtual or augmented reality in the workplace successfully? I would say that it probably connects to my previous answer around education. The key to, to using VR successfully for business is firstly around understanding the technology and what it can do. Once you understand what the technology is capable of, you can see what the potential solutions to your business problems or opportunities might be. Once you can, once you can understand that and see that, then the design of such solutions becomes a much easier task to, um, uh, to, to actually to, uh, to execute. So I'd say those three areas are probably quite key. Uh, one other thing I'll mention is that a lot of businesses think that virtual reality and augmented reality is incredibly uh, expensive and is just too complicated to do when that's not the case. It's very much like any form of uh, IT implementation or transformation project. It does require some time and some cost but that should shouldn't come as a surprise and it's not uh, it's not something that is overly different from those type of projects that you would usually see in a business when you're trying to improve operations or save costs and what other examples of um, extended reality use outside of the workplace have you been impressed by say can we learn from um, the consumer use of vr are there any um, projects that are particularly lighting your fire at the moment so outside of um, the enterprise, I have to say the, the fitness, health and fitness applications of virtual reality are quite incredible. So for example, this morning, I did my morning workout in virtual reality. So I put on a headset and I, was, I, I got into a, a fictional boxing ring with, uh, with Rocky Balboa and uh, we fought it out for a few rounds. Thankfully, I got the better of him. Uh, but that was a really tough, um, tough workout. You know, my heart rate was at 150, 160 throughout most of it. You know, you're dodging, you're weaving, you're throwing punches left and right. Um, and it's a very involved experience. And what makes it really powerful is that you feel immersed. Again, talking about the strengths of the medium, you feel immersed in that world and it helps you to stay fit, but also does it in a way that is not boring. Uh, and that is quite exciting. So I think fitness in virtual reality is a space that has that is underestimated right now and we're not seeing 
Uh, we're not seeing its true potential out there, but it's something that I think will grow incredibly uh, as we move on into the future. So perhaps ent enterprise VR can learn from this space, do you think, in, in terms of the Absolutely. emerging? There's, there's definitely lessons to be learned um, from enterprise to consumer and from consumer to enterprise. Although both spaces or both sets of, of, of companies and users are using it for different purposes, there are still many things that, uh, that need to be achieved by both users. So both users want the, the headsets to become lighter, smaller, cheaper, more invisible. Uh, both users want it to become um, a ultimately a more seamless experience. And that's something we will definitely see happening uh, and improving in the workplace and the consumer world as we go into the future. Yeah, that's what I was actually just going to ask you. How do you see or how do you hope um, extended realities will be used in the workplace of the future? If you had a, a, a dream vision of the, the workplace of the future, what would it be? So if I could envisage a workplace of the future, I would say that virtual reality and augmented reality headsets, uh, well, first of all, the technology will combine into a single uh, probably headset form factor. So maybe uh, eventually the, uh, something like the glasses that, uh, that we all wear nowadays. Um, so first of all, I think the form factor will become simpler and smaller. Secondly, I think just as everyone has a laptop and probably another device like a, a smartphone or a tablet, we will also see their XR virtual reality or augmented reality headset be one of those devices that forms part of their repertoire for how they'll work in the future. Right, fantastic. So thank you so much for joining me today, Jeremy. It's been really interesting and um, I look forward to speaking to you again at our AV Works conference. My pleasure, Zoe, looking forward to it. That was the brilliant Jeremy Dalton from PwC. You can hear more from Jeremy soon as he is a presenter and panelist at AV Works, AV Magazine's free virtual conference, exploring AV's pivotal role in the workspace. It's taking place on Friday, the 2nd of October, and we have an incredible lineup, including speakers from Google, the BBC, Uber, Bloomberg, WeWork and Zaha Hadid Architects. For more information and to register, visit avworks.avinteractive.com. Next up is a panel debate from this year's ISE on alternate realities in AV, from healthcare and education through to corporate the session explored how different sectors are adopting and benefiting from alternate realities. Joining me on the panel was Glenn Kelly, Head of Production at the Imaginarium Studios, Futurist Amelia Coleman, Badal Dixit, CEO PearlQuest Interactive, and Vincent McAtamney, Founder and Technology Director of Vintech Immersive. I'd just like to start by um, getting you each to introduce yourselves, tell us a bit about your experience with virtual, augmented and mixed reality. We'll start with you, Badal. Sure. Uh, hello, everyone. My name is Badal Dixit. I am the CEO of Pearl Quest. We are a technology agency based out of Dubai, and we create interactive experiences for events, exhibitions and marketing activations. Uh, the interesting thing is my career started and in fact the company was started as a digital out of home company where we were focusing more on uh, interactive digital signage and digital out of home but I've seen the transition uh, and, and we have over the last six years uh, 
completely changed the business model into uh, immersive media, AR, VR, XR technologies. So that's how it's been. Thank okay. You. Hello everyone, I'm Vincent McAtamney. Uh, my company is Vintech Immersive. Uh, it's a play on the word virtual immersive and new technologies, but a bit of a nod to my name. Um, what we do is build immersive content, uh, mostly VR, AR, and of course now mixed reality as well. We focus on three sectors. So the core business is building experiential marketing uh, content, uh, but we also work with design visualization, construction, working with local authorities, uh, helping them visualize uh, town plans, etc. Um, and also immersive training, so VR training in particular. Um, the, the company is a relatively new company, but we're growing fast, and we're working in collaboration actually with other AV um, specialists and companies, uh, which is why we're at, we're at ISE. Hi, I'm uh, Glenn Kelly. I'm head of production at the Imaginarium Studios. Uh, we are a performance capture and virtual production studio based in uh, Ealing Studios in London. Um, and I, we have been doing a lot of mixed reality and VR and video games for the last seven years. And more recently, uh, that has been predominantly VR and MR, XR type content. Cool. I'm Amelia Kalman. I am a futurist. And I look at new technologies and their impact on the future of business as well as the future of our lives. So I do lots of speaking and writing about these. Um, one of the things I'm kind of known for is not just looking at the potential and the opportunities, but also the risks of these new technologies um, individually, societally, and um, economically. And if we could just begin by defining the different types of immersive technologies that have been used to extend our realities, and um, how does virtual, augmented, and mixed reality differ? If, you, if anyone could just define those a little bit. Would you like to begin for us? So uh, there are a lot of industry terms, and there's quite a lot of confusion out there for the ones who are not in the industry. Uh, but I, I would say now there is a generic industry term called XR, yeah. uh, which came into being, I think, a couple of years back in Silicon Valley, where uh, it's more like a convergence of augmented, virtual, and mixed reality. Uh, some call it cross-reality, and now pretty much everyone calls it extended reality. But now we see the convergence of AR, VR, uh, sensors, IoT, and a little bit of blockchain and uh, you know crypto technologies together so that's why this generic industry term called xr is what is being used these days but if you uh, on on the surface level if you define it then virtual reality is where you get totally immersed into a different reality yeah. where uh, you wear a headset uh, and and you can't see anything else but you're you're, you're basically into another reality, immersed totally into it, yeah. whereas augmented or mixed reality is where there is augmentation of your existing reality. So using uh, a specific headset or a specific gear, you can still see what's out there, but you have virtual uh, objects around you. Another layer on another top layer of objects. Reality. So yeah, that's how I'd call it. Does anyone else have any other definitions? Of well, I like to differentiate between augmented and mixed reality. Um, some people don't. Some people just call it augmented reality. And I really think that it's because Microsoft coined mixed reality. Yeah. Um, but the way I differentiate it is that augmented overlays the 2D digital onto the physical, mm -hmm. where mixed reality is the 3D 360 degree 
holograms into the physical. And, um, and why I think I'm, I'm leaning towards AR and MR these days is because it allows us to stay in our natural environment. So we can still look each other in the eye, have a conversation. Um, you know, we're, we're less likely to get motion sickness or to trip over anything. Um, yeah. Perfect. And which scenarios are you seeing each type of simulated experience being used for? Which are they best suited to? I'm not sure if you want to take uh, that one. I mentioned earlier one of the sectors we focus on is training. So, yeah. for instance, with, with, with training and immersive training, um, I've, I've tended to find that virtual reality VR is, is, is easily the most effective in that. Now, whether it, that will always be the case, of course, that, that's subject to change. But for the moment, that's the technology that really does allow you to take anyone from an engineer to an astronaut to a, a doctor to a surgeon um, and really put them in a, a true one-to-one -one scale of the space that they need to be in without them being in that physical place, without them being in a, a hospital ward or, a, or a, an airport um, and really being able to, to, to give them both task-based scenarios or simulations, the, the, the what-if um, scenarios. So, so, so for me, I've used virtual reality more in that space. Right. And I think possibly some of the others might say that things like augmented and, and mixed realities tend to be used in the more the experiential marketing uh, areas because they can reach a much, much wider audience via our smartphones, of course. Yeah. And do you have anything to add to that? Glenn? Yeah, well, I suppose for me, the, the, we've done some work with some uh, training being the bait, like performance capture for training right. VR experiences. And I agree that that seems to be the thing that has really taken off. Um, we're getting more and more inquiries for that. I see that, though, as being because the tech is advanced enough that it is possible to throw it on people. I would see that the mixed reality headsets will take over in the future, mainly because um, VR is limiting in its... Not everyone likes VR headsets and not everyone can wear them for long periods of time. Whereas uh, MR headsets in general, it's not always true, tend to not cause the motion sickness and that because you can still see the world around you. Um, right. So I would expect that a lot of what the education stuff that is being done today on, on VR will be ported over to the AR sector as those develop into a more usable product, let's say that. Okay. Anything from your perspective well, I, that you're uh, seeing? I, I totally agree with, with training, uh, with mixed reality. Uh, the, the essential uh, idea behind it is mistakes which uh, probably can happen in the real world uh, and when, when we use uh, a mixed reality headset which gives us some contextual information on top of your real world view uh, the the probability of that mistake to happen reduces significantly and that's why we uh, 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 there's a lot of mainstream usage of uh, mixed reality in enterprise uh, like we, we have been doing some pilots with oil and gas. Uh, uh, since I come from the Middle East, there's a lot of oil and gas uh, industry exposure there now. They are trying to see how we can eliminate mistakes which are done by the workers, by, by, the, uh, by the people who are working in hazardous areas. Uh, by they using mixed reality headsets like the HoloLens, and we are really awaiting the HoloLens 2, which is going to have much better features. Uh, when they get into the context of uh, the work being carried out, and they are getting some information overlaid on, say, working on a machine or, or some other expensive uh, mechanism, yeah. that really helps in making sure that that layer of training is totally gone away because they are working in context already. 
So that's what helps. Yeah, you mentioned the HoloLens too. So that's the first headset that integrates um, artificial intelligence. And I think for me, the marriage between machine learning and AI and XR is going to be huge in the use cases and what we can do. Um, so when it comes to large data sets, being able to analyze these in new ways, um, being able to visualize things, and then also using the artificial intelligence to be able to sift through all that information. Um, so I mean, I think there's a lot new um, like jobs and opportunities that are going to come as a result of this, um, and we're going to see a lot more adoption in that respect. Yeah. What about other sectors, say like retail or immersive art experiences? We've done, we've had like uh, a lot of inquiries for mixed reality art exhibits. The limitation at the moment are the devices themselves and running them constantly with general public. Yeah. None of them at the moment, I would say, hold up to the everyday consumer, throw it about, throw it on their head, off you go. There is still an element of babying people along with it and it glitching out and it, it, the, the tech's not there. That said, there are artists working in that space already and some of, like, I think VR sculpting and art is currently a thing and if you are on Twitch, you can watch hours of it and it's looking amazing. Um, and I'm looking forward to when that becomes a little bit more mainstream. Um, but once again, I, I, and once again, I think because it's in VR at the moment because that tech is far enough along that is accessible to everyday people, whereas uh, the, the mixed reality stuff is still very much in the hands of kind of first adopters and uh, companies. Yeah. And what are you finding? Did you have something oh, to I, add there? I was just yeah. going to add to that on the subject of, of art. Um, I'm really mm. pleased we've got two... Um, art-based immersive projects happening within within the next 12 months. Um, it's interesting, I, I agree the technology is perhaps not quite there from a user uh, ability, so we're doing one that's using VR uh, and one that's using projection mapping as a way of enhancing an existing art um, campaign and art, art exhibition. The reason why they're doing that is in a similar way that um, a brand might use an overall campaign and part of that campaign be an experiential marketing campaign uh, an artist might do an, an entire installation an entire exhibition and part of that be let's say a virtual reality experience perhaps with a breakout room and a breakout area and you get to immerse yourself within that art which you can do either using mixed reality in time or, or, or VR for now right okay. so that's that's the experience I've had with, yeah. with, with the arts sector we, and then, uh, we could also have uh, a different offshoot of immersive art, which is location-based VR experiences with art, like where traditional art galleries are transformed into VR galleries, where people actually go and visit the, the gallery as they would, but there's a headset kept in which they get immersed into a particular piece done by an artist. Yeah. So, uh, like, many countries are really doing well in the location-based space, where, where they expect people to go to a particular location and experience the you know using that particular hardware and whereas there are others where they expect you to download the content and try it out ourselves mm -hmm. which is a major challenge in adoption because not yeah. they, they don't have uh, the the right headsets and they don't have the right hardware oh. so yeah
Yeah, I love some examples that don't use headsets at all. So, um, you know, like WebAR being able to just use your mobile phone. I think Apple AR did a really good example of that where they took people on art tours throughout London and I think three other cities around the world. And, um, and now with technologies like Scape, which just got uh, bought by Facebook by, for 40 million, you can actually pin different digital experiences to locations. Um, so, you know, in the future, when you go to a museum outside, you have all these different layers. You can see what the museum looked like 100 years ago. You can see what the renovations are going to lo look like. You can look at all the people that have been there and posted their picture and pinned it there from Instagram, and you can take yours and pin it there as well. Um, there's all kinds of new ways that that's opening things up. And then, um, like a good example too in, in retail was Legoware had um, a completely empty white store in Covent Garden. But if you had Snapchat and you had, you could go in and you could see um, the, all the clothes. You could see a runway show. You had celebrities talking to you and they're going straight through to buying stuff that they're seeing in this digital experience. So it's really marrying up the e-commerce with uh, bricks and mortars, mobile, and um, yeah, I guess, and digital and physical. Yeah. Um, and then also, I was just gonna add, is, um, is people like the Illuminati, they're doing um, like domes. So you can have these immersive XR experiences without headsets at all. It makes it a more communal experience so you get to share in it. And I think those are also really effective and definitely something that we should be talking about with XR as well. Yeah, so I was going to move on to that, what users are actually asking for. Is it the more communal experience that VR doesn't allow you to have? What feedback have you heard from people about the, the shortcomings of different types of um, alternative reality? The, the big thing, uh, we've been doing a lot of theatre yeah. um, related stuff, and the experience of theatre is about going with a group of people. Mm. It's not about being on your own. Um, so yeah, the, every request for anything to do with extending a set or a stage is always the people sitting next to you must be experiencing the same thing at the same time so that the emotional beats are all the same and they're reacting to the same thing. Yeah. So we've been finding that the, the requests are based around making sure that everyone gets the same experience and it's not limited, uh, so it's accessibility is a big one. Right. So phones are great for that. Like if, if everyone has, uh, has a phone that is capable of doing it, they can all at one time. Um, the other big thing they've been asking for is more content. Um, I, 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 these platforms will live or die on how much content is available yeah. to them. Yeah. And I think several of the manufacturers have failed at the content side. They're, they've released devices without the real what's going to hold people on this platform. Um, whereas this is where I think mobile phones have won that, is that a lot of people have taken what was a, a static app on the phone and caught, extended it into kind of AR. And that's, that is getting people in. So I'm seeing a bit of the request for consistency and sharing. Yeah, and do you think it works in situations like gigs? I know you two... Um, with their tour, they had a, a, an app where you could, I think it created a, a waterfall effect over the crowd. Do you think it adds to it or do you think it detracts attention sometimes from the actual production? I think 
everybody's viewing their stuff through their mobiles anyways, yeah. you know? So I think it adds that extra layer. And, uh, you know, like we saw Mabel do the first vertical concert, you know, so that you can actually film it like this and it translates into Instagram and Snapchat. I think that's a huge trend that we're going to see more of. We saw, you know, Samsung's showcasing Ciro, that screen that lets you go vertical, um, a portrait to landscape, just like that. And uh, Quibi's coming out this year in April, which is a mobile streaming app for your phone. And they're doing small, uh, under 10 minute um, uh, content series. Yeah. And uh, I, think, I think that's, a, that's definitely a trend that's happening. Yeah. I think from a user standpoint, uh, the big question is when do we get rid of the, the handset? Uh, when does AR come to, an, to a level where we are not holding a device in our hand and everything, come, everything literally becomes a part of your reality? And that's where I think the biggest challenge with you, the user experience and the field of view with AR headset as well as with VR. Uh, uh, VR headsets are bulky, uh, they're, they're expensive, uh, they're, the, the cheaper ones are not that good. Uh, AR is just so limited in, in the field of view. It's not something practically usable. Uh, Apple sooner or later will come up with their AR headset and the vision is we get rid of devices being held in our hands and things become integrated with your existing reality. We all are just curious when it happens and uh, what is that gap we are trying to address and how soon that yeah. becomes reality. So is it all about ease of use and not actually noticing or using the technology, the it's just use, making it more, yes. more invisible? And uh, funny enough, both, both Glenn and Bidal mentioned content creation there. One of the things I've found we're being asked for more, and it seems like an unusual move, but, but, it, but it makes absolute sense when you look at what's happening with social media, is creation both of interactive content, it's not just content, it's really got to be interactive, but also in portrait format because so many people are tied to their phones. So, so that's been a, yeah. uh, perhaps a sideways step that some of us didn't, didn't see coming. But I think the other thing is, is interactive content. So particularly for ex experiential marketing, when perhaps um, brands are trying to get their products almost into people's hands via AR, uh, not just being able to look, but almost be able to interact with it, open it, feel it, interact with it, do things with it. That's so important. That seems to be really key to then getting people to engage with a brand and then hopefully go out and purchase or buy from it. Yeah, and um, just moving on to the, the headsets and then what are the um, the investment figures looking like? I know you had some, some stats you... Well, I, uh, the, uh, in fact, they say that the AR industry is gonna grow by 198 billion. Yeah. So like with, with uh, ARKit and ARCore, new content creation yeah. platforms, uh, new AR headsets, uh, the technology itself is booming a lot. So. Uh, it's still debatable on whether the the figures which are anticipated versus what's really happening. Uh, uh, we we need to address that. But then, for example, PS VR like PlayStation VR sold uh, uh, almost five hundred like five million headsets. So people are adopting to VR as a technology itself. Oculus Quest, which is the next revolution, according to at least from a developer's standpoint, yeah. uh, has almost gone to half a million headsets. Right. So I think the, the, the adoption is growing. Now it's yeah. not mainstream, it's not something uh, as a technology which is commoditized, which is uh, adopted by everyone, like the mobile apps or web-based uh, web apps. Uh, but we are getting there, I believe yeah. we are getting there. So. Which hardware are you guys most excited by as well? It would be good to get your feedback on a few of your, you're working with. 
Fidel mentioned Oculus, and I think that they have to be mentioned. I think particularly their ownership by Facebook has really allowed them to drive that drive that forward as a uh, almost at least a mainstream product. So, so Quest, absolutely, that seems to be the weapon of choice we yeah. most use at the moment. And and I would add to that. Uh, Quest is standalone, untethered, totally uh, uh, headset which doesn't require a PC, which is as good as, uh, I wouldn't say exactly same as the Rift, but uh, very good in terms of the, uh, the, the fidelity and the feel of view. But at the same time, uh, the new uh, the new addition to it is the sync cable. So you can just turn the standalone Quest into a uh, a proper VR headset which can connect to your PC or your laptop and it, it can still play the content which requires very high-end processing. Yeah. So I think that's that's a great one for developers and mm. content creators and see that's pretty interesting out there. I, I think the other thing to mention on, on the, both the Quest and the, the wired version as well is that it allows this six degrees of freedom, this movement within the VR space so that's what's just taking it leap years on from, from the likes of the Samsungs and the cardboards that we perhaps were used to a couple of years ago. This, this, this really is a, a, a true VR room space volumetric feel now. And Glenn, what are you working with? At, at uh, yeah, HoloLens and Magic Leap um, are the two kind of mixed reality, spatial computing, whatever term they want to use for it. Mm -hmm. uh, devices we've been playing with um, Oculus Quest personally. Uh, yeah, I bought an Oculus Quest on launch. Um, We've got a Valve Index on the stage. Yep. Um, I'm excited for Apple's entry into the market. I'd like to see what they've they've been suctioning up a lot of kind of businesses that kind of are within the space, and they have a history of bringing all of those technologies together into something amazing. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, I, I'm looking forward to the next generation of devices. I think the ones that are on the market now show so much potential. They are not, for consumers, they're not there yet for the everyday consumer, but they definitely are at a point that the next generation of them is going to be that part where I will just give it to my friends to play with. I don't think it's quite there yet, but yeah. And, and you went to CES recently, didn't yeah. you? Did you see anything particularly groundbreaking in terms yeah, of headsets? Um, I did. Um, I was going to say, yeah, um, I just wanted to add on to the, the VR, the Oculus Quest. The one thing to keep in mind about the six degrees is that um, that does mean that there's cameras inside your bedroom and that data is going to Facebook. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we will see how that ends up. Um, they'll probably end up selling it back to us at some point and making more money off of it. Um, as far as mixed reality headsets, I saw the Rhino X, which got me really excited because they're actually selling an entire solution um, for things like museums and exhibitions. Um, so multiple headsets with a wide field of view, uh, wireless, and they have their own kind of um, object tracking. And the demo I had worked. It was great. And um, price-wise, I think it, it definitely undercut some of the, um, the bigger guys in the business at the moment. So I would look out for them. Um, with augmented reality glasses, um, I tried the, the Norm glasses, Nreal, um, there were a couple other ones that are trying to be the new consumer, sleek, sexy glasses. I gotta say, none of them were there yet. Um, none of them were robust enough. Um, I don't think 
any of them gave me a, a demo that I was very excited about or, or didn't or that didn't fail halfway through, you know. Um, but that said, you know, we've come a long ways. And I think it is going to be Apple who is the one who's going to break that because, um, you know, and I don't think they're going to come out with it until it is the new iPod, the new iPad, the new iPhone, you know, until there is that thirst for it. And I think we're getting there, um, you know, with people wanting something new, wanting something next. Um, yeah, I think, I think that's where I will leave that. Just to add on with the Apple thing, my only worry with Apple being the breakthrough one is how enclosed their ecosystem is, which is a, at the moment a problem with this market is yeah. it as a developer, it can be hard to get into them, get access to developer kits. Um, Apple has a history of not being great with that um, or charging, which means the, the most really good experiences I've had in VR recently have been like made by people in their rooms. Uh, it sounds weird, I know, but it's like little developers and like they're, they're, they're the forming of an idea. They're not perfect. Um, so I'm hoping Apple, if they, when they do release, I'm hoping it's a little bit more open than their current ecosystem. I don't think it will be. <laughs> well, actually, you just reminded me, too, because uh, Facebook are said to be making augmented reality glasses. Samsung showcased theirs. They only just showed it on a model. They didn't actually show them working or anything. Um, but it is interesting that they're all going into that direction. And then I guess the other thing I want to add was Panasonic um, debuted their virtual reality headset, and it weighed 150 grams, so it was really light. Um, it looks steampunky. It actually looks kind of cool. Um, <laughs> and I, you could just imagine like how much easier it would be at a conference to be like put this pair of glasses on you know and uh, they say that they're uh, not planning to manufacture them but they've definitely set a new standard just by being there of what we need to expect and demand from the virtual reality market so that is one of the main limitations is how cumbersome and mm. heavy they are really what about having said that I would definitely agree with uh, with the mainstream adoption when it comes to the consumer level and I think that's what investors are also looking at they if you come up with a great piece of hardware or, or some great uh, content related technology their first question would be how, how can this go into how can uh, this cross that stage or, or cross that uh, chasm where uh, it goes into the uh, you know the the early adopters to the next level yeah. uh, but having said that I think from an enterprise perspective there are some great uh, you know, pieces of hardware that like the Vuzix Blade and uh, where you only focus on specific applications. So it'll be industry, uh, manufacturing, uh, healthcare, mm -hmm. where we, we don't really care about the field of view, where we don't really care about the fidelity. Uh, we only care about how it can be used in a specific application. And uh, th there's, there's a different um, uh, evolution in, in some hardware which is specific to industries. And I think that's great for enterprise and that's great for a lot of businesses out there, a lot of startups uh, who are only focused at making sure that the workplace uh, transforms or uh, there's more health and safety uh, within within the industry. Yeah. So. I would agree with that. The, um, the Vuzex, the M4000 that just I, came out, yeah. um, if companies use that, they can actually um, get reduce reductions in their insurance because okay. of how advanced the technology is and there are no blind spots and that kind of thing. So there are extra incentives for people to be using I, these. What about the clarity of the display as well? How realistic do you think it is at the moment? Is this, are there still shortcomings in, in that area? 
Uh, you're not going to be tricked into thinking you're in a a room. Like you, yeah. it, it, they're good. You, as soon as you move your head, I think the illusion breaks that you're in thing in a different space enough that like you're not going to put someone put a headset on someone and they're going to immediately kind of believe they're somewhere else that said the immersiveness of headsets within a minute or so you kind of forget that you're in another room you end up taking the headset off after half an hour and finding you're two inches from a wall um yeah they're they're good then the tech isn't at a level that is um it's not 8K screens in front of your face at 120 FPS type thing. That said, it's good enough for right now, as in it, people should be using it already. What about the limitations in terms of how long you can actually wear it for? I know in the past, obviously, there have been some nausea-inducing effects, but can you wear it for longer now with, without that happening, would you say? Well, sorry, a lot of that as well comes down to how the content is is steered and manoeuvred yeah. uh, so i mean in the early days the, the, the classic vr experience was it was what we call an on rails experience so people would put the headset on and they'd start moving and everyone was feeling motion sick the brain knows when you're putting your step forward or when you're when you're moving around so so, so, so we sort of very quickly learned that you need to be in control of teleporting and moving around within vr um, glenn mentioned frame rates and things like this as well that's really really important that that, that we're not picking up very obvious lag and flickers and by and large it, it, I would agree it's, it's good enough at the moment it's going to get better but, it, but it's good enough um, but, but I think it, it, a lot of this comes down as we've said earlier to the content creation and the sort of narrative and the, and the idea behind it yeah. that, that really drives how long you can then wear it yeah, so, so if it's a good experience yeah I mean I've, I've wore a headset for a few hours before yeah, probably really? too wow, long but, but a few hours yeah <laughs> to add to that we're still discovering the language of uh, VR in terms of um, transitions and movement. We've definitely got a basis at the moment, but I've been trying out a few demos recently for, for projects we're working on that have a lot of movement in them and haven't been triggering motion sickness with me. So they're, they're, there's definitely things we're learning as we're, we're creating, which is exciting. Um, and it, it, but it, yeah, the the ones that kind of throw you around, um, I think that was the that's always a fun experience. I think we've probably all had it where you get given an experience and it starts off and it lurches or it lags and you end up being like, whoop, nope, uh, maybe later, because uh, it you know it's just gonna tr- you're just gonna be motion sick. I made my flatmate sick with the um, International Space Station <laughs> one, the weightless one. She put it on for about five seconds and then ripped it off and and vomited. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think the, uh, w- the important point uh, here is also the, the bulkiness of the headset because uh, with the vertigo and the motion sickness, it's also how much time can I uh, hold something on my head. Uh, like I, I play uh, Audio Shield and I play uh, uh, Beat Saber a lot at home, but then sometimes I, I go and bang into furniture. But after a point of time, I, I realized that this is just so heavy. I'm, I'm loving it. I'm totally immersed in it. But how much more time can I spend in this? So the bulkiness does uh, really matter a lot. Yeah. But having said that, for again, for enterprise or for training applications, mm. if we are making trainings which are, say, only for 15 minutes, and that take away uh, your significant training budget, uh, generally, you've you got to fly in your employees if you're a 10,000-people organization and you've got to fly in thousands of people to a specific 
place and uh, give them training, arrange for the accommodation. And uh, if, if the same thing can be done with a 30-minute or a 15-minute experience, uh, which is well done, very immersive, and can that learning environment is replicated, mm -hmm. then why not? So it's it's all about the content. As uh, I think we we again drill down to how how good the content is created and how immersive it is. Yeah, and what about the process of creating the content? What challenges are, are you guys facing that are involved with that? I don't know who wants to take that one. If... <laughs> yeah. Uh, for, uh, I, I think I'd say what's so, so important before anybody even starts putting any form of video editing skills in is that the, the narrative, now whether it's a creative narrative, if it's perhaps a, a experiential type thing, even the narrative if it's a training experience, what happens, why, what's the user journey, that, that's really, really so important to, to get right. Um, and that means then that the, the makeup of, of, of an immersive content team is perhaps a little different to perhaps a, a typical makeup of an AV company or even makeup of, a, of an IT programming company. You can have more creatives in there. You can have more user journey um, or people with user journey and user experience knowledge. That's, that's really important. Yeah. And then, honestly, you're then down to, 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 to good practice within video editing skills. Some of us are going to use Unity. Some are going to use Unreal Engine. There's pros and cons, benefits be between the two. Um, I, I, th I think we sort of touched on it earlier that the resolution and frame rate of the technology is kind of the bit that's holding it back at the moment. The fast renders and real-time rendering and, and uh, even live VR streams you were speaking about earlier are, are kind of now possible and are becoming possible from, from, a, from a more cost-effective budget as well. But none of that works if the, if the experience doesn't make sense. There's got to be a creative narrative that, that, that really drives it. Yeah, the, the big one for us is storytelling. So uh, I think the number of meetings that start with, we want to use this tech, and we're like, cool, go away, and come back when you've got a story, that will work on that. Like, if, if it's all about just using that piece of technology, then you're, you're already kind of failed. Um, narrative is massively important. The other thing that, that's struggling right now is budgets. Um, I would love for the industry to be funded to a level that the content that's being created could be made to its best. The budgets, uh, at the moment, brands are about the only ones putting in proper money. Right. Uh, and then training, we've found, has been like they'll invest in, in, in these experiences. Right. But for, for everyday projects and for kind of your uh, things for festivals, the budgets are very limited. Um, and that's often can be great don't get me wrong it means that you scale back and you focus on the, the, the core but it would be lovely if uh, the money behind the industry would uh, and people like Apple maybe will fund um, some really great pieces so th money is a limiting factor at the moment yeah. also I, I believe the, uh, the industry is is not really well versed with how this works they they kind of compared this to video or or mainstream media they they still don't understand that immersive technologies are uh, are a step above the the rest uh, they they think making changes amendments to a project is as easy as cutting pasting images on a website or or on a video just adding another clip and making it happen whereas in vr vr 
possibly looking at something much more. We are looking at multiple dimensions and, and, and a very good narrative and a storyboard behind it. So uh, it's, it's the customer education, it's the client education about how these technologies work matters a lot. And I totally agree with Dan about the budgets because they think that it's as easy as uh, changing some part of a video. Uh, but it's not because when when we look at an immersive environment, creating another new 3D environment is is a lot of effort. It's it's a lot of uh, man hours which go into that. So uh, that's a challenge uh, of of making clients understand how this works. So that definitely is. And audio is obviously an important part of creating an, an overall immersive experience. What's important to remember or consider when you're you're doing that when you're choosing. How, what kit you're using or techniques um, to create the, the sonic experience as well. I first got interested in audio because I was being let down from the audio experience. I was having these great visuals and stuff, but I was finding the, the when the sound is flat, you just think like that's I'm taking I'm being taken out of the experience. So um, so I got. I got um, one of the editors I work with to kind of let me go and do some research and really start to investigate this. Um, and in that said, probably within the last year, I have seen the audio industry really try catching up, you know, and um, and a lot new um, kind of immersive immersive audio experiences. And um, you know, I really. Uh, it's really something that adds so much to it. And we saw at CES, uh, Sony came out with three new 360-degree reality. Um, one's a speaker, one's uh, earphones, and then one's um, a sound bar. Um, and once you start to listen to music and stuff in 360 in Ambisonics, like, you'll never want to listen to flat sound again. I honestly think like our children and grandchildren are going to be like, I can't believe you listen to flat sounds like for so long, you know? Um, yeah. I, I've the the one for me. It's actually something that Magic Leap hit upon really well in Tenandi. Mm, uh, the, yeah, the sound yeah, in that, that they they really that was the first time I've ever had a headset on, and sound has triggered a physical reaction. I reached out, touched something, the sound hit, and I pulled my hand back. And that was the first time I was like, oh, okay, spatial audio is definitely something that's going to be form part of this. Very much. From the film world, um, audio is always kind of the red-headed stepchild. Um, it's always last to be thought of. It's always forgotten. And in, in VR experiences and AR experiences, I would say it is more important than visuals. Mm. If the sound is terrible, you will kind of get over that experience very quick. If the sound is amazing and the visuals are very basic, you will play, play that experience out. Um, and the spatializing of audio, I think, is also important. Uh, and thinking about that from the beginning. Um, what is the sound experience I want the user to have? And yeah. that requires work very early on, not mm. once you've done the, done the filming, once you've done the capturing. You have to be thinking about that stuff very early. It's something that productions often don't. And that is across the board video and, and these new mediums. Mm. Um, and we have been guilty of it in the past. Don't get <laughs> me wrong. I think... Odd, uh, Audio and binaural audio uh, spatial uh, sound is very important, and it's it's very important even from the developer standpoint to to make. So I think uh, like uh, projects like Bo the Bose SDK is, is is a great leap because then it's allowing Unity developers to 
to to easily create experiences with with spatial sound. Uh, so I think if if even the content creators start thinking about this seriously, then it kind of blends together with the audiovisual experience. So I think Bose has taken a great step by creating the Unity SDK. So. I'll give a quick shout out to Usimo. They're doing an, um, a live demo that's just over there. I absolutely recommend you trying it out. They did, um, uh, he spoke at the XR Summit on Tuesday and showed a video of what they did at the Museum of Communications and the exhibition was Sound of Silence. And what they were able to do with spatial audio was, I mean, you even got it just from watching the video, it was astounding. Yeah, we'll definitely check that out. I should also say something that we're excited about, um, uh, the, the Grinning Man, the show I talked about earlier on today, the theatre. What we're looking forward to is mixing real-world sound within a space with the kind of uh, mixed reality. So you're not only is the space you're in hooked up for spatial audio, but your device is feeding to that to tell you. Right. So there's a, a, an interesting mix of... Earphones are never going to quite give you the same sound as, say, like a massive sub beneath uh, a stage mm. so it's the blending of those two worlds the physical yeah. and the and the digital world that's super exciting and in the sound world that could be amazing because yeah bose sennheiser all of them have some amazing kit coming out i was gonna say in um in automobiles um at ces you were seeing speakerless cars that only use the vibration i thought that was really cool i've never seen that before and, and then what about the, um, the sense of touch as well? I know you touched on that earlier, the haptic technology. You, you saw some interesting things at CES again. Yeah, yeah, I love haptics. I've been, like, I'm obsessed with it since about 2013. Um, it works well with virtual reality. Then. Well, That's it just it really tricks your brain that much more. It adds that sense of touch and, um, and feeling, and, and, um, and your brain gets that much more immersed in thinking that it's a real thing. I mean, I still, my still... My ultimate favorite is still Ultra Leap. So it used to be Ultra Haptics. Now they've acquired Leap Motion. This allows you to feel virtual um, objects, shapes, textures in midair. So you don't have that extra friction of having to put on a wearable. Um, I think they're fantastic. And we're starting to see them integrated into cars again like that. Um, but my favorite... Um, from CES was Thermoreal by a company called Tegway. And they take uh, thermoflexible material and integrate it into headsets, uh, gloves, and armbands so you can feel temperature inside virtual reality. It blew me away. Like, I can't uh, talk about it without smiling. Like, it surprised me. It takes a lot to kind of, like, get my attention these days. And I wasn't expecting it, and I loved it. Yeah. And have you been experimenting with that as well at the Imaginarium Studios? Uh, we have had the guys from the Tesla suit in, yeah. and we played with that. We tortured a couple of employees. <laughs> um, it's it's very cool. The, the immersion you get with it, with a VR headset and the and the suits themselves, yeah, I think that it, it will be a thing. There's some health concerns I have for it. Uh, they will be personal because uh, they have to contact skin at the moment. I'm sure that will change. Um, but they're, no, they're, they're fantastic and, and they're fun as well. They make video games really fun and uh, you think you're in Ready Player One. Um, but from a training perspective, I can see uh, haptics being quite useful for feedback. Um, if you do something wrong, getting an impact enough to know, oh, well, I shouldn't do that, will be great. The, um, the ultra haptics, in a way, I think that is a solution to some of these... Um 
the health issues that we might be having, um, being able to get that confirmation because what, what they found is that um, you react 80% um, um, better if you get that brain confirmation. So you don't actually, um, you can be touching midair, but if it feels like you're pressing a button or turning a dial, your brain gets happy and it says, okay, I have activated something. And if we're doing all this stuff with gesture, um, we're not actually fulfilling our brain chemistry if we're not getting confirmation back to the brain. I think the other thing I've noticed is the VR experiences that you go to. Some of the best ones do build in physical and digital mixes, so buttons and levers. And the ones where you do go pick up a gun and, oh, it's an actual gun I can feel, or it's a, a big lever that I pull in, in, in mixed reality. In virtual reality, it's big, it's shiny, it's got cables and electricity. In reality, it's a piece of wood, a broomstick with a broomstick on top. Um, that stuff is really great as well. So it can be as simple as integrating those sort of things in as well. And then what about um, mixed reality disrupting the wider AV industry? How do you see it have an impact on next year's ISE? Uh, well, I'm not sure about next year, but in the years to come for sure, it's I think already, I mean, we as a company uh, changed how we used to operate and, and uh, I personally see a lot of potential there. But I think uh, when AR really goes mainstream, things are gonna change dramatically. So there, there probably won't be any need for outdoor media. If, if my glasses can detect where I'm looking, then I don't need outdoor bull, billboards. I don't need those jumbotrons and high-res uh, 1mm pixel pitch LEDs because I can just see whatever I want in high-res. Uh, at the same time, we, we already see uh, some things changing. Uh, there, there are concerts which are happening in VR, there, there's mainstream stage production getting disrupted. Uh, uh, I think digital signage to an extent, extent will get, you know, we'll start getting contextual messaging within your virtual worlds. Mm -hmm. So uh, a lot of education is getting transformed totally, so a lot of, lot of uh, exhibitors here are focused at education, mm -hmm. but now VR in education is, is big. So, um, so if, if a lot of your learning experiences are uh, getting immersive and, and you don't really in the future need that traditional classroom infrastructure, then the AV industry has to, uh, you know, start thinking about what, what they should be doing. So, in, uh, in terms of the corporate world as well, do you see it having more of an impact? Uh, it, in the corporate world of AV and in, in that sector, you think oh, it will also... Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, it, it kind of uh, falls into the same segment. If, if you look at uh, where, where audiovisual uh, technologies are implemented in the corporate world, uh, they, uh, with the rise of augmented reality, I think you, you will start having boardroom meetings, uh, conferences, uh, a lot of uh, um, you, you know your general meetings in in virtual worlds. I myself uh, attended one a few days back where uh, we we get these conferences in in, in you know in, in a virtual space. So uh, this is becoming more and more popular, and I think the corporate world will also uh, catch up soon. So I think that's going to be transformative. A bit further down the line than maybe next in the year, next. I, I don't know. If, uh, Amelia would be perfect to. Uh, to, uh, put that number to it, but maybe four years or five years. I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, it's hard to put a number to it. I mean, we can do it today, but it's it's the quality of it, yes. you know. Um, so I think 5G is going to play a part of that. 
Um, for me, from a broadcast media perspective, I really love like uh, what White Light's doing with the Disguise platform. So being able to take this uh, white cube, um, and they have another name for it that is slipping my mind at the moment, uh, but being able to take a space that's small and then use um, you know mixed reality yeah. on screens. Is that the smart stage? I think. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah, the smart stage. Yeah. yeah. So to be able to um, increase the space infinitely, hmm. you know, so you can really transport people, and then um, using it in broadcast, so you can have you know the graphs pop up, and somebody might just be in a white space, but but visually you're getting all these extra layers and it seems a lot more interactive it seems a lot more engaging um so i really like that and then i just think the you know capturing things from a volumetric point of view like i know that the new stadiums are being built with the sensors so that we can start to broadcast in in holograms eventually i mean that's the idea yeah the rugby uh, world cup in japan yes. just did that uh, yeah Yes, that was very cool to see actually happening in real time. Yeah. I was very impressed with that. Um, from my perspective, I think the disruption is going to be a little uh, like an education sector. Um, we're excited about the accessibility this tech brings. So you could wheel a box load of headsets into a school in a remote community and give them access to uh, the British Museum. Um, Photogrammetry, the the ability and volumetric capture gives the ability to take objects that are behind glass at the moment and really get up and personal with them in a way that I, you you can't do even if you go and see them today. Yeah. So I think disruption-wise, it's going to affect how future generations learn things, uh, how they interact with um, content, especially. Uh, you know, we're talking about theatre at the moment and and plays. Not only will they get to like see a screen that has a you know a video recording of it. No, no, they'll be able to walk around amongst the actors as they're doing the play and and really learn about it. So I think from a, a, a AV perspective, it will hopefully in the future replace things like yeah screens in classrooms. It'll extend them. I'm going to be interested to see how. Um at the, at the moment, it's it, the AV industry and the immersive tech industry. We're even speaking about them as, as two different entities, but the, but they're definitely beginning to, to collaborate. I'm particularly interested in how potentially everywhere is a screen, and where there's a screen, at the moment, 99.9% .9 of the digital signage screens we see out there, as good as the content is, it's, it's passive content. We just we just spoon fed it. Uh, I think it's going to be really interesting when some of the immersive technology skills come in and make that content interactive, personalised to some of the audiences and the demographics and the users, and then therefore potentially everywhere, every screen we look at can be a, an information point, a touch point, a, a learning point. Um, I think that's going to really, really come together when, when AV companies and immersive tech companies begin to really work together and, yeah. and harmonise both, both skills, both skill, uh, skill sets. And that's it for this episode. We hope you found it interesting and that you'll join us again to find out what else is making waves in the AV world.